0: Welcome everyone to a very unique episode of Codebreaker, presented by our good friends of the underworld, Underdog Fantasy. Previous shows I'll write out every single word in a Google Doc. Seriously. I'll write out five to 7,000 words, make some notes on dramatic pauses, emphasis, and then I'll deliver the recording and ship out the show. But this episode is different. I have a few trace notes on players I'll highlight. But this entire episode will be focused around the 2021 player projections that will be in the World Famous Draft Kit, released early next week on playerprofiler.com. I'm looking forward to this one. Essentially, I'll go team by team and highlight one, maybe two players, maybe a team trend, and discuss it with you all. I'll mention a few projections that surprised me, as well as how I'll be leveraging this information in my underdog best ball drafts as well as general redraft strategy. For a few players, I'll even dynamically change their target share during the recording of this show to help you understand the upside involved with a few young players I'm particularly high on compared to consensus. My work for these projections was done in both R and Excel, and I cannot stress enough how useful knowing R coding for analytics has been for these projections juggling, team pace of play, pass to run ratio, historical target shares, QB tendencies, aging curves, ambiguous depth charts, the list goes on. And there is no better tool than R to handle this type of job. And while my dynamic projections workbook is in Excel, the numbers behind it all were generated and analyzed in R. And if you want to learn to code in R for analytics, Go to thatrcodingsite.com or you can follow the link on my pinned tweet on Twitter. And my handle on Twitter is at jlarkytweets, J-L-A-R-K-Y tweets. Again, thatrcodingsite.com and use the promo coupon codebreaker. Again, codebreaker as the coupon, all lowercase, no spaces, and that'll get you 12% off any of my course offerings where you can learn to code in R for analytics with only football datasets. All right, give me 10 seconds now to pull up my projections workbook and get those heads bouncing in anticipation. All right, we've got the workbook up. We're going to start off with the NFC South. And I'm looking right now at Tampa Bay. And I have to say, Tom Brady projects really well. He was efficient in his first season in Tampa Bay. And now he has a full year with Evans Godwin, Antonio Brown. Because remember, last year, Antonio Brown only played half the season. Now, I see Brady as definitely a value at his ADP. I have him projected at nearly 5,000 passing yards. Though, remember for all of these projections for these quarterbacks, I'm just projecting them out 17 games to be convenient. So they're all on the same scale. So we have 17 games worth of production for these teams. So 5, pa- almost 5,000 passing yards is not quite as good as it sounds. But I mean, I still have him seven, over 7.5 yards per attempt. I have him at nearly a 6% touchdown rate based on his pass catchers. He's going to have a great year. Now, the one value is Antonio Brown, based on his ADP. Evans, Godwin, they're going round four, round five. Antonio Brown's going round eight, nine, ten in best ball and redraft right now. And I have to say, Antonio Brown's projection is, spoiler, it's really close to Godwin and Mike Evans. Now, in the eight games that Evans, Godwin, and Brown were overlapping, their target shares were all nearly identical. They were all between 17 to 20% and they all fall into a similar range in my 2021 projection. So while Antonio Brown doesn't quite project as well as Evans and Godwin, if you're going to do a Tom Brady stack, I'd actually recommend waiting and grabbing Brady with Antonio Brown rather than reaching on Evans or Godwin who just quite frankly don't project as well as I thought they might. Now let's move on to Carolina and this was a painful one. As you all know, I love DJ Moore. Can't get enough of him in Dynasty. However, he just doesn't project very well for this season. Sam Darnold has always been a part of slow-paced offenses that weren't very good. Joe Brady's first year of offense with Teddy Bridgewater in 2020 was not very fast-paced either. It was incredibly slow. Sure, a lot of that is Teddy, but... That is our only sample size for Joe Brady in the NFL, and now he's pivoting to another slow-paced quarterback. So I just don't see Carolina throwing enough to really have incredible projections for any of these pass catchers. I will say on the McCaffrey front, even with a reduction in workload per game from his ludicrous levels of the past few seasons, he is still comfortably in the RB1 slot in my projections. So, sorry Delvin Cook, love you, but... You are just not a Christian McCaffrey. And quite frankly, nobody is. That's why he's number one by a sizable margin still in my projections. DJ Moore, I mentioned, it's a little disappointing. I have him projected with kind of a mid-20s target share. I have him at 23% right now. And in general, that's a really, that's a great target share for most players. That's a wide receiver one caliber target share. But in this lower volume offense and knowing that his passes are coming from uh, Sam Darnold, His projection just doesn't create out that well. And he, just from a projection standpoint, is a low-end wide receiver too. Now, right now, we're going to change that. Let's just say he gets like a 26% target share, which is nearly DeAndre Hopkins level. In this offense, even if he gets that kind of target share, I still have him as a borderline round three, round four pick for redraft or best ball. So that's a little bit disappointing that even if you give him the ultra elite super alpha target share in this offense, and we go from 23 to 26 percent, it still doesn't quite bump him up to anything that's too exciting. I actually prefer DJ Moore in best ball as opposed to redraft because this is a lower volume passing attack, and I think there's going to be a good amount of weeks where DJ Moore is kind of disappointing, sort of like in 2020. However, he's still one of probably the five to 10 most talented wide receivers in the NFL if you just look at prospect profile and historical receiving production. So I really like him in best ball where you're going to get some of those spike weeks. He will give you some of those hundred yard games most likely just like last year. But yeah, I definitely prefer him in best ball, especially where he's going in best ball versus redraft. I don't really want to eat a lot of five point weeks in my starting lineup from DJ Moore. Okay, we're going to go to Atlanta now. And we're going to talk about one Kyle Pitts. It's on everyone's mind. Josh, how did you project Kyle Pitts? We know you hate him. Newsflash, I don't hate him. And he actually projected pretty well. Conservatively, I have him at a 14% target share right now. Again, this is with Julio Jones staying in Atlanta. Because I do believe there's various incentives where it's still decently likely that Julio does not move on from Atlanta. Now, I have him around a 14% target share, just barely out-targeting Russell Gage, who was actually a fairly fairly reliable target last year with over 100 targets on the season. Anyway, Pitt's at a 14% target share. I've got him at 91 targets, 58 catches, 704 yards, and just over 7 touchdowns. Again, 58 for 704 and 7 touchdowns. That's an unbelievable rookie season. In fact, it's historic. It'd basically be the best rookie tight end season of the past two decades. And yet, he still wouldn't live up to his tight end for ADP, where he's currently going and best ball. But I will admit there's some upside there. Let's just say that Julio Jones gets traded, and Kyle Pitts no longer has the 14% target share, but is now closer to the 20% target share that someone like an Evan Engram had as a rookie. Now remember, Evan Ingram was on the Giants. There were not too many receivers of consequence there. So he was able to just, as an inferior talent, command 20% of the targets. Pitts, remember, he's got Ridley, he's got Julio. There's a lot of really solid talents that are currently on the Falcons roster. So if we switch that projection from 14 to 20%, we're now looking at 83 catches for 1,005 yards and 10 touchdowns. Which, yes, this would be ridiculously historic, and I don't actually think it's fully out of the question. So after doing my projections, Kyle Pitts's tight end four ADP is not currently as gross to me. Will I be taking him as the tight end four anytime soon? No, probably not. I would still prefer Hawkinson, especially who has just a path to massive target volume, and we'll get to that later on in this show. But I can understand the idea that if you are 100% confident Julio's out. Then yes, Pitts, if he's truly going to be used sort of like a wide receiver, which is plausible for someone who was taken fourth overall, I understand the conversation of what if this guy gets an Evan Engram rookie year target share on high volume pass attack. So I'm here for that conversation a little bit more after doing projection. So Ryan Lopes, Ray Garvin, if you're listening to this, I don't apologize for anything I said, but I understand your side of it a little bit more now. Alright, we're going to move on to the Saints, the final team in the NFC South. Let's talk about the great unknown. How much is Taysom Hill going to play? Right now, I have Jameis Winston projected for about 85% of the team's pass attempts. So, we're looking at a primarily Jameis Winston-led offense where Taysom Hill is mixing in for some drives, gets gets a couple starts, and is in there at the goal line frequently to make sure that they don't throw an interception when they're about to score. So, let's talk about... Michael Thomas. As you might have seen the TikTok from The Podfather, Michael Thomas is sex. The guy looks really good for 2021. I mean, let me just go over some of the names on this Saints depth chart that I actually projected. And just for the record, when I don't quite know who's gonna win out for those final like 20, 30, 40 targets that are going to auxiliary auxiliary receivers, I just put other receivers so for atlanta after ridley jones and cage i don't want to prognosticate as to exactly who's going to get the the final 40 50 60 targets 80 targets in that offense whatever it is we don't really know we know some receivers are going to get them so i just put other atlanta receivers i actually have four names written of guys that i'm semi-confident will get some type of work in 2021 you ready for that here we go michael thomas and then traquan smith okay probably a wide receiver three on most teams but sure he's the second best receiver on this team and then undrafted marquez Callaway, five foot six hundred seventy hundred eighty pound deontay harris and then other saints receivers can you believe that i have deontay harris's name etched in because i'm fairly confident he's going to get some targets this year deontay harris is not cracking Pretty much any other depth chart outside of maybe uh, the Patriots or the Lions, this is this Saints depth chart is truly atrocious at receiver. So Michael Thomas, I have him at a 29% target share, which is actually below the low 30s target share that he had in 2019 when healthy. Even in 2020, if we just look at the games he technically quote-unquote played, remember he exited a couple early and was a decoy in another one, he still had a 28 target share in those games. So I've got him at a 29% target share. I think that could even be conservative based on a healthy Michael Thomas and literally nobody else to throw to. So I have him at 119 catches projected over the 17 game season. And yes, that's a big downgrade from the 140 whatever catches that he had in 2019. But still, to project a guy at 119 catches and feel like I'm almost being too conservative You need to draft Michael Thomas at his ADP right now. This guy is money in the mother-loving bank. His ADP is around wide receiver 9. I have him neck and neck with DeAndre Hopkins. They are jostling back and forth, bumping bodies, shoving shoulders for the wide receiver 5 and wide receiver 6 slots in my projections. All right, going out on the workbook, we're at the NFC East. And we're going to begin with Philadelphia, the Eagles the first team on this Podfather special. Because as everyone knows, this is the division that Mr. Matt Kelly has been touting as one of the most exciting and the sneaky good division for 2021, NFC East, the Eagles. Let's talk about Jalen Hurts. Now, you all know, if you're following me on Twitter, at JLarkyTweets, that I do like to pick on incredibly large blue checkmark accounts. And I did that recently with One of the fantasy footballers, Andy Holloway, had a tweet where he essentially said that anyone who takes Jalen Hurts over Tom Brady should be arrested. That's right. You should be arrested if you take Jalen Hurts over Tom Brady. Yes, I actually think Tom Brady is going too late in drafts. As I said before, he projects very well. However, Jalen Hurts breaks fantasy. This is not just a mobile quarterback. This is the super mobile, ultra Konami quarterback In the mold of a Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray. Jalen Hurts is a guy that's going to rush 10 or 11 times per game. We already saw little glimpses of it last year and his massive 35 to 40 point weekly ceiling based on his rushing upside. You might want to know like, oh, why would Andy Holloway tweet such a thing? And here's why. The fantasy footballers... Whether they let you know this or not, they're not necessarily trying to help you get first place in your league. What they're most concerned with is their fantasy pros accuracy rankings because they always rank really highly in that. Well, Josh, I mean, why would you pick on someone so accurate? That's foolish. They're accurate. Yes, they're very accurate. However, part of the incentives behind the fantasy pros accuracy competition, you don't want to swing and miss. And yes, there's a little risk to Jalen Hurts' profile. Because we just haven't seen a full season of him yet in the NFL. And Brady's a fairly safe pick to be a low-end QB1 in 2021. So yes, if you're going strictly on accuracy and you don't want to strike out, sure. If you want to guarantee that your quarterback isn't going to get benched or whatever. I mean, let's be honest. Jalen Hurts is not getting benched. They want to know what they have in him. Joe Flacco. Really? You think that's the guy that the Eagles are going to trot out? I don't think so. Anyway. When you're ranking on accuracy, do you want to know what you're playing for? You're playing to not get burned by a player. You're not playing for first place. You're playing for fourth place. And newsflash, I've never been in a league, and you probably haven't either, where there's money involved for getting fourth place. So yes, if you want to guarantee that you're not in the bottom half of your league, sure, I think there's a conversation for Brady over Hertz. However, if you want to get the money, and get first or second in your league, because that's where all the money is, you want Jalen Hurts at an ADP of around 80 right now. Now, let me look at the projections to confirm this, but oh my God, as expected, Jalen Hurts is currently projecting as the QB6. Now, I don't want to spoil exactly where he's going to be ranked and whether he'll be ranked at that spot or a touch below it when all is said and done, but just projections for projection's sake, Hurts is the QB6. Getting over 22 fantasy points a game. Well, you might want to know a little bit about how I'm projecting him. Am I giving him historic passing numbers? What am I doing? How does Jalen Hurts project so well? Here's the thing. He runs 10 or more times a game. And when you can pencil a guy in for over 10 rush attempts per game and a decent yards per carry, he's going to dance around and flirt with a thousand rushing yards on the season. And also, Jalen Hurts, this is a fairly big bodied guy he's going to score some touchdowns. I have Jalen Hurts projected around the 1,000 rushing yards mark, assuming that he starts each game. And I have him around seven rushing touchdowns. That is how you can make up with make up for poor passing numbers. So Jalen Hurts, I have him at sub-64% completion percentage. That's not very exciting. I have him currently under seven yards per attempt. That's pretty bad. And I have him at a slightly below average touchdown rate in terms of what percent of his passes materializes touchdowns. And I have him at an above average interceptions rate. So essentially every quarterback stat for Jalen Hurts, I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt. I'm assuming, you know what, this is just a below average quarterback. He could be. We don't really know. He was impressive in college and then he didn't look like a great thrower of the football with no offensive line and no weapons last year. So even as someone who's throwing for well under 4,000 yards, even in a 17-game season, with below-average touchdown numbers, above-average interception numbers, below-average completion percentage, below-average yards per attempt, he still is the QB 6 in my projections. Let that sink in. Do not let Jalen Hurts pass you by in drafts. Next up, we've got the Dallas Cowboys. And this one was kind of interesting for me. Dak Prescott didn't quite project as high as I thought he would. In fact, he's actually a touch below Jalen Hurts in my projections. And that might sound crazy. I mean, Dak Prescott was basically a QB1, the QB1, in the few games he played last season. However, I don't believe he's going to be rushing quite as much per game this year coming off of his ankle injury, and I don't actually think the Cowboys are going to hit 800 passing attempts. I do have them as top three for passing attempts for 2021 based on their pace of play, because they're a very fast-paced team. However, Dak Prescott throwing for nearly 5,200 passing yards, over 30 passing touchdowns, 7.8 yards per attempt, almost 68% completion percentage, not too many interceptions. The guy looks incredible, but if you're running around 50 times in a season, it turns out it's hard to be an elite QB1. With Dak Prescott, I prefer him in best ball. Because in redraft, yes, you're going to get some spike weeks, but... There could also be some weeks where if Zeke runs the the ball in and Prescott isn't rushing for a ton of yardage, you could get multiple 15 to 17 point weeks from him. And that's not super exciting. I prefer him stacked with any combination of Cooper, Lamb, Gallup, Jarwin, and best ball. Where, yes, there's going to be some games where he gets you 15 to 17 points and the other quarterback or quarterbacks that you roster will give you those points. But we now know from last year that in comeback mode, And the Dallas defense looks bad again. So you know there's going to be matchups where when they play Kansas City or they play the Chargers, they could be down early and often. And we know Prescott can throw for four touchdowns and 450 yards in a game and give you a massive 35 point week and have Cooper, Lamb, Gallup, Jarwin, some combo of those guys hit in the process. So that's why I slightly prefer Prescott in best ball than redraft based on his profile. Also, in terms of the big three with Cooper, Lamb, and Gallup, I actually think at their ADP, they all look pretty tasty. I would take them all. And I would say that Gallup looks like the best value of the bunch. Even though I have Cooper projected over Lamb, and then Lamb well projected over Gallup, based on where Gallup's going around pick 100, Gallup looks pretty good right now. It's the same with Antonio Brown, where Evans and Godwin are going really early, and I'm not super comfortable drafting them. Yes, I'm comfortable drafting Cooper and Lamb, but my goodness, Michael Gallup looks like a great value right now. Alright, moving on to the New York Giants. Galladay, I believe he has a very locked-in target share. I have him, let's see, at 21%. That's basically what he's at year after year. This is not a 25% target share alpha kind of profile. This is the field-stretching alpha who hovers around 21% target share and is fairly efficient when he catches the ball regarding his yardage and touchdown output. However, I have Galladay. I'm going to my receivers right now. I have him as a back-end wide receiver, too, in my projections. Sort of like where DJ Moore was. And it's just a little bit... It just doesn't feel great when you look at that and you see, you know what? Kenny Galladay, with Daniel Jones as his quarterback, which is a downgrade from Stafford, he just doesn't look super exciting to me. I have some Galladay. I'll have some more Galladay. And I think in best ball, he can probably get you some big weeks with some hundred receiving yards here and there. But overall, this is just not a guy that's going to be getting nine or 10 targets a game. And that's a little worrisome. Also, I have Saquon Barkley at a pretty hefty target share and just toggling with it a little bit. If I look at the low end of Barkley's target share, I could see him getting around 88 targets. What I think is most likely is around 100 targets. And if we quickly plug in kind of the higher range, if he gets back to rookie or Saquon, he could be at like 123 targets. Saquon looks great, it's really hard to imagine the New York Giants going away from getting the ball in his hands. Saquon and Galladay look locked in, Sterling Shepard looks like a good value, and it's very difficult to see Darius Slayton, Kadarius Toney, and Evan Engram being particularly relevant for fantasy. Yes, if we're talking best ball, then sure, throw a dart on Kadarius Toney, he's going too late in my opinion. But just in general in redraft, these are not players that I expect to be making any kind of noise. And I would pretty much fade the entire New York Giants team in redraft, aside from Saquon. Washington. All right. Fitz magic time, right? Well, yes, Fitz looks good. And I think he's a good value. Actually, just like with the Giants that I just talked about, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Daniel Jones actually look pretty good in my projections. I have them both a little under 18 and a half points per game in fantasy. And that's really solid for someone that you're getting around pick 150, 160. You're getting them kind of in the final round of redraft, maybe the second to last round of redraft. Or if you're in best ball, you're getting them round 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there. So Fitz looks pretty good to me. Antonio Gibson, if he's unleashed, will just break fantasy. Right now I have Gibson... At around 235 rushing attempts, I have him around 8 touchdowns, 1,100 rush yards, around 50 targets, just a touch over that, 300 receiving yards. Antonio Gibson looks totally teed up to smash as a low-end RB1 or at worst a high-end RB2. So I'm very excited to see what we get out of him this season. Regarding the receivers, Terry McLaurin looks like he's fine at his ADP. Sure, you can stack... Fitz and McLaurin, it's pretty cheap. You get McLaurin kind of mid to late round three, and then you just wait and then throw in a Fitzpatrick 10 rounds later. But what I prefer is grabbing Curtis Samuel round seven, round eight, and stacking him with Fitz because Curtis Samuel is projecting really well. How well, might you ask? There is only around a half fantasy point per game difference right now between my Galladay and Curtis Samuel projection. I'm not joking. Yes, Curtis Samuel has a lower target share, but he's on a team that's a little faster paced and is probably going to throw the ball more. And he's going to be getting some handoffs, just like he has in previous seasons. So, really big fan of Curtis Samuel at his ADP. Another one is Logan Thomas. People are acting like he's dead. I don't know why. I got into some Twitter debates with people recently where they're saying that Logan Thomas is nothing and he was a one year wonder. I strongly would push back on that. He was really good, really efficient. And I still have him getting around 100 targets for this coming season. Let's see. So, Logan Thomas, he's around tight end 9, tight end 10 based on ADP. I have him as the tight end 6 right now in my projections. All right, we'll move on now. NFC West. Let's talk about the 49ers. I like Trey Lance just in general because of his ridiculous mouthwatering upside as a a Jalen Hurts type where he's going to get you 10 or so rush attempts per game quite possibly and just be a fantasy cheat code scoring over 20 fantasy points every game. Prefer him a little more in redraft than best ball because if for some reason Jimmy Garoppolo is the week one starter and you take Lance in best ball right now and it turns out that Lance doesn't start until week eight, you're eating a lot of zeros from that position but In redraft, you just cannot get enough Lance. If it turns out he's never going to start, you just drop him. But there's a good chance he starts early and often and is a 20 plus fantasy point per game type of player. I have him at around 10, just under rush attempts per game when he's starting. The guy looks really good. Now, the other one that I want to highlight is George Kittle from San Francisco. George Kittle doesn't project so well. As a matter of fact, this was shocking to me. Because when I'm doing my projections, I'm not cross-referencing with every team to make sure it lines up exactly how I want it to. No, I use the data to guide me. And I was shocked when I saw this. But Travis Kelsey I have as the tight end one. And then I have Darren Waller, as I've mentioned before, as my tight end two. And I have George Kittle as my tight end three. But here's the kicker. Darren Waller is closer in my projections to Travis Kelsey than George Kittle is close to Darren Waller. There is a bigger gap between Waller and Kittle than there is between Waller and Kelsey. Let that sink in. And I'm not giving some baby, like, 18% watered-down target share to to Kittle. No, no, no. I'm giving Kittle, even in the presence of Ayuk, Debo Samuel, I'm giving him a 22% target share. But here's the issue. How much are the Niners going to pass? assuming that the majority of their games are started by Trey Lance, that's a mobile quarterback and they're going to have a a more run-heavy game plan. And that's just how it works with these mobile quarterbacks. They don't throw the ball as much because some of their pass attempts devolve into a quarterback run. So even at a 22% target share, Kittle's just not that exciting. And I have him at a little over 1,100 receiving yards. However, that's just not coming close to where I see the potential for a Waller or a Kelsey, and I just don't see that much room for growth. It's hard to get Kittle to 1,200, 1,300 receiving yards in this current offense. Now we'll move on to the Seattle Seahawks. So I want to highlight Russell Wilson, who has the highest projected TD rate, so touchdowns passing divided by pass attempts. He has the highest rate of touchdowns of any quarterback I projected for 2021. And in four straight years, Russell Wilson has over 30 touchdown passes, and I have him going over that number once again in 2021. Here's a fun fact. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, these guys never had a stretch of four consecutive seasons with 30 or more touchdown passes, which Russell Wilson currently has. And from my quick research, I could only find two quarterbacks who had a longer stretch of touchdown passes with 30 or more in a season in NFL history than Russell Wilson. Granted, I didn't look super hard, but I'm fairly confident. So anyway, Russell Wilson, he's strung together four straight campaigns of 30 or more touchdown passes, and I expect him to do it for a fifth time in 2021. Brett Favre had five seasons in a row with 30 or more touchdown passes. And then, drumroll please, the guy with the most seasons in a row, Drew Brees had in his prime nine seasons in a row, nine consecutive NFL campaigns with 30 or more touchdown passes. Unbelievable. It blew my mind when I saw that. All right, moving off Wilson, who I currently have as the the QB5 in my projections right now. Wilson looks really good. Anyway, Chris Carson, I actually think he's a really good value. I have him projected as a high-end RB2. He's going off the board as more of a middling to lower-end RB2 based on his ADP. I'd grab Chris Carson at his ADP right now in all formats because I expect his price to rise over summer. I think for some reason there's this baked-in assumption that Rashad Penny's kind of a threat to his job, and I, I really don't see that. I mean, sure, you can grab Penny in your draft and hope for a Carson injury. It's probably going to happen at some point. He'll probably miss some games. But in games that Carson's healthy, he commands most of the rush attempts and actually a fairly hefty target share. He started to be kind of become a, a better receiving back the past two years. Last year, he even had a game with two receiving touchdowns. Chris Carson is an all-purpose weapon and is being disrespected at his ADP. Draft that man. Moving on to the Rams. Last year, I could not stop victory lapping on the Tyler Higby fan club. Neither could the podfather. We couldn't believe how enthusiastic people were regarding Tyler Higby and his situation. And let me tell you something. Tyler Higbee is a value this year. Oh boy. I have Tyler Higby as the tight end 7 in my projections, just behind Logan Thomas. Tyler Higby doesn't even have that crazy high of a target share, but we know he's going to be on the field a lot. He's talked to the coaching staff about how he wants more targets. I really like Tyler Higby. I currently have him projected at 66 catches, 750 yards, and five touchdowns. That's really good. 66 catches, 750 yards, five touchdowns. I mean, that's a pretty solid tight end six to tight end eight kind of finish in fantasy football. Why are people not drafting Tyler Higby? Were you really burned that badly last year? Did you really expect him to explode like the end of 2019? Because I certainly didn't. But let me tell you, I am on the train this year. Tyler Higbee 2021 season has officially arrived in my projections. The other guy I'll mention here is Cam Akers. Because I know you're all wondering, yes, Cam Akers looks really, really good in my projections. I have him right now as the RB9. Sorry, wait, no. This sheet is sorted incorrectly. You're going to get a little live Josh Larky sorting his projections workbook because who knows why it got unsorted, but let's do this live right now. I currently have Cam Akers projected as the RB six and it's, it's basically like neck and neck with the RB uh, six through eight, six through nine. Yeah. There might be a little value at his ADP. However, I'm not necessarily clamoring to grab him in all drafts at that slot. I'd still recommend waiting. You can get him in the at the end of the first round. But the reason for the excitement as to why his projection is really high is that I think he's going to get a lot of touches. The guy was getting like 25 touches per game at the end of last season and single-handedly won a playoff game for them as a rookie. Darrell Henderson is no threat to Akers getting bell cow touches because there's a lot of rushing attempts to go around in every NFL offense. And I actually have Cam Akers projected for only 59% of the team's rushing attempts. But before you freak out and go, 59%? He's only getting a little over half? Don't worry. I still have him at 272 rush attempts. For some reason, people seem to think there's 300 rushing attempts per team to go around. And I don't know who started that rumor or started that line of thinking, but that's not how this works. Teams rush 400 to 450 times per season. Some teams like the Ravens rush over 500 times per season. Cam Akers will be just fine if he's around 60%. And I have him around a 10% target share. It's pretty exciting. Cam Akers is currently projected around 1,600 yards if he stays healthy for each game. And that's just unbelievable. Grab this guy in Dynasty before he fully pops. I assure you, if you think his price is too high right now and you're like, why would I pay RB1 prices for Cam Akers? It's because he projects currently as an RB1 for 2021 and he's incredibly young. He's younger than ETN. Grab Cam Akers. All right, we're going to move on now to the Arizona Cardinals. And I really want to talk about how fast-paced they are because Cliff Kingsbury is not very innovative. He's a fake innovator. This team runs way too much. They ran Kenyon Drake into the ground, even though he wasn't efficient or effective for all of 2020. But even still, you cannot ignore their furious pace of play. The Cardinals are a lightning-fast team. They're up on the line of scrimmage, hurry-up offense. This is a team that does not fart around with the play clock. They get the ball out. They snap it immediately. And I have Kyler Murray for over 600 pass attempts in a 17-game season. And coupled with his incredible rushing ability, I have Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen hanging out together in a little QB1 triumvirate. They're all around 24 fantasy points per game in my projections. So Kyler, Mahomes, Allen, all neck and neck. And as it just so happens, you can get Kyler Murray around about a round later than Mahomes and around half a round later than Josh Allen in the drafts I'm doing. Kyler Murray looks like a total value. The other guy I'm going to highlight is... Actually, you know what? We're going to highlight three guys. Two super quickly and then one I'll get into. So the two quick ones, Chase Edmonds and James Conner both look like good values. Someone's got to run the ball there. And I have James Conner running the ball a little bit more than Chase Edmonds. James Conner, I have at a 36% rush percentage right now for his rush attempt share. 36% for Conner, 30% for Edmonds. Edmonds around 150 carries. Conner around 180. And they both look pretty good. I've got, let's see, about 60 catches projected for Edmonds. I really think he's going to smash in the current role that they have lined up for him. Now, the guy that I... Extremely excited to talk about Rondell Moore. I understand he's 5'7". How's the team going to use him? And I agree. I don't think he's the kind of guy that's going to command a whopping target share right off the bat. But let's go through the wide receiver core of Arizona. DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk. And I mean, right there, that's a big drop-off from Hopkins to Kirk. And then after Rondale Moore, it's the corpse of A.J. Green, Andy Isabella, and whichever other random wide receivers they trot out. Oh, tight ends? They have none of consequence. I have Rondell Moore at a 13% target share right now. 13%. This is not a super high target share. This is fairly conservative for a second round pick with the prospect profile of Rondell Moore. Only 13%. Let me quickly find another rookie so we can compare. I have Dwayne Eskridge around 10% target share. Just for comparison, we all think Rondell Moore is a far superior prospect. Diami Brown around 8% as a third round pick. Uh, Let's see. I have Kadarius Tony around 11% target share. So I have Rondell Moore just above him. I mean, Kadarius Tony was the ultimate donkey pick in the first round by the Giants. Uh, We have, let's see. Let's go to the NFC South. Let's look at Terrace Marshall. I have, there we go. Ding, ding. Second round pick Terrace Marshall. I also have a 13% target share. So same as Rondell Moore. This is not some crazy high target share, but rondale moore as someone who's going to be most likely running fairly high percentage routes with a lower a dot and a higher catch percentage i have him currently at 59 catches 602 yards and four touchdowns then you have to couple that with his rushing i have him getting 15 carries for 131 rush yards and another rushing touchdown altogether rondale moore ends up with around 10 ppr points per game and if i find him in my projections He's currently projecting as the wide receiver 53, even though his price is wide receiver 65-ish when you're looking at redraft in best ball leagues right now. So I have Rondell Moore as quite an immense value. We'll go to the NFC North now. And the story here is the split with quarterback. I have Justin Fields getting around 75% of the work this year. It could even be higher. And based on training camp reports, I can always adjust if it turns out. Fields is ever confirmed as the week one starter I'll make that adjustment but right now I have Fields starting most of the games and week four week five is probably when I would expect him to usurp Dalton completely. Fields like Lance incredible redraft pick because if for some reason it seems like he's developing slowly at the start of the year and they just don't put him into games whatever you drop him but if he gets in there fairly early Oh baby, this is another guy that looks like he could be getting 20-plus fantasy points per game each time he starts due to his rushing ability. While not quite as good as Lance, he has a better prospect profile when it comes to throwing the football than Lance, so I'm very excited to see what Fields can do when given the opportunity. One, Two guys I'll call out with Chicago. David Montgomery does not look very good in my projections. Tariq Cohen's back. That's That's the guy that's going to get most of the backfield targets. Damian Williams would probably do something. Khalil Herbert actually has a pretty good prospect profile for a late round rookie pick. I think he was taken round seven, if I remember correctly, in the draft. He looks pretty good. So there's a lot of mouths just kind of chomping at the bit, waiting for David Montgomery to look average. And I have him projected fairly average. The end of 2020 was the easiest running back schedule you could possibly come up with. And I think it's inflating his ADP right now. And I have next to zero David Montgomery in all of my early drafts because I just don't see the upside assuming a healthy Tariq Cohen. And sure, Cohen missed last year, but we have to remember is you can roll out that scenario with everyone. If Tony Pollard gets injured preseason, just like if Tariq Cohen gets injured, then sure, Zeke will just absolutely smash and could very easily be the RB1 or RB2 in fantasy. But you can't really base everything off of assuming the backup gets injured. We can't assume Cohen gets injured again. He should be fully healthy for training camp. And I have Cohen right now projected for 87 targets in these 17 games. I have Montgomery closer to the 45 mark. And it's just really tough to have the RB1 type of upside when you're getting under 50 targets on the season. Do not draft David Montgomery right now at his ADP. Darnell Mooney is the other guy. I think he's a really good value right now in drafts. I have Darnell Mooney getting nearly 100 targets this year. Which at first seemed crazy until you realize that the only other receivers of consequence on the Bears are Allen Robinson, like maybe Cole Komet. I don't know. Like this, is, this is a year two tight end. Are we really getting that excited about Cole Komet when Jimmy Graham is still there? And then there's Darnell Mooney and Tariq Cohen. There's just not a lot going on in this passing game. And I think that Darnell Mooney's talented enough to command a 17% target share, which is what I have him penciled in for. I have not penciled in for about 850 receiving yards over these 17 games. He's looking pretty good to me. We'll move on now to the Lions. In this, there's, there's basically two guys that you can get ultra excited about. DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson. Now, one thing I want to note, there are few people that I respect more in this industry than John Paulson, who does the rankings and projections over at 4 for 4. He's an incredible mind. However, I'm going to disagree pretty firmly with him on this point. I listened to his podcast this past week, and he said he is projecting more carries for Jamal Williams than DeAndre Swift in 2021. Yeah, Jamal Williams is a good backup running back. However, he's a good backup running back. I do not see a world where Jamal Williams is out carrying DeAndre Swift. He also had them at very similar target shares. I just can't get on board with this. DeAndre Swift is a premium talent. He was taken early round two, and all he did was impress as a rookie. And he gets the type of work that we want for fantasy. He gets goal line carries, and he gets a ton of targets. I am incredibly bullish on DeAndre Swift for 2021, and I can't believe that he is going late second to mid third in drafts right now. I would grab him mid second, and I wouldn't think twice about it. So the fact that I routinely get him At pick 29, pick 28, pick 30, which is fully the middle of the third round, it is insane to me. Let's look at my projection for DeAndre Swift. I currently have him at a 47% rush attempt share, which is about 193 carries for 867 rush yards, 6.5 touchdowns, and then I have him at a 14% target share, 84 targets, 67 catches, 506 receiving yards, and and 2.5 receiving touchdowns. And this could even be more of the floor outcome for his receiving. He's currently at a 14% target share. Do I think he's significantly less talented than some of the other premier receiving backs like an Alvin Kamara? No. Would I say Kamara's better than Swift? Eh, probably. But Swift is on a totally wide open depth chart. There's no Michael Thomas sitting here gobbling up some targets. It's TJ Hawkinson, who I think is a good player. But again, this this is a year three tight end. And it's Jared Goff who is not mobile and is going to be checking down to the running back. DeAndre Swift at a 14% target share. Again, 67 catches, 506 receiving yards. What if we bumped that up to 18%, which is like Saquon Kamara CMC light. It is less than these guys can command. In this world where Swift is getting 18% target share, 108 targets, 86 catches, 651 receiving yards, and it would put Swift at... fantasy points per game, which is kind of around the Akers, Jones, Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor type of range. It's kind of in that conversation, and it looks like he'd be the RB6, RB5, RB6 in my projections if Swift was getting that 18% target share. Do I think it's super likely? No, I don't. However, I do think it's likely that he's able to surpass a 14% target share that I have him projected for. Swift looks like he has the makings of a mid to low end RB1 going at a high to mid round or mid range RB2 price. And that doesn't sound too crazy when I say it that way. However, if you're willing to take him mid round two, like I am, and he's going end of round two, early round three, if you just push the button every time you could end up with 70% DeAndre Swift in your drafts, I don't recommend doing that because There's risk to every player. These guys can get injured. But strictly from a projection standpoint and upside standpoint, I want to be overweight on my DeAndre Swift exposure in all formats. And I recommend that you are too. Now, we're going to talk about Hawkinson. I have Hawkinson at a 20% target share. That's probably a little conservative based on how dreadful the other receivers are here. We have situational deep threats like Brashad Perriman, Tyrell Williams... We have the day three pick and 4 7 40 guy in Quintes Cephas. We have the 4 6 running day three pick Amon Ross St. Brown, who could end up leading the wide receiver corn targets this year. It's an ugly group. I currently have Hawkinson around a 20% target share. Mark Andrews is around the 23 24% range. And I could definitely see that for Hawkinson. Currently, I have Hawkinson pretty much neck and neck with Mark Andrews for that tight end four spot in the projections. But let's say that Hawkinson gets a 24% target share, not a 20% one. If Hawkinson gets a 24% target share, kind of like a Mark Andrews, which very doable in an offense with Rashad Perriman, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Tyrell Williams, Quintus Syphus, there's nobody here that looks good. So if we give him a 24% target share, now, as I'm looking, he is projecting nearly the same as Kittle. That is incredible. No, just kidding. I read that wrong. He would project above Kittle unbelievable. If Hawkinson gets the 24% target share, he would be above Kittle. That is why I'm so excited to be able to grab Hawkinson round five, round six in my drafts. I don't know why he's lasting that long. This is a guy that's legitimately going to get 120 to 135 targets this year. You have to draft Hawkinson. My conservative projection is 76 catches, 827 yards, and six touchdowns. This guy's going to be used everywhere on the field, we know Goff doesn't throw deep very often because he has a weak arm. Hawkinson looks incredible right now. On to the Minnesota Vikings. I do see some likely regression coming for this offense. It is difficult to see some kind of ridiculous ceiling for Justin Jefferson. I see him as more of a floor play where if you're grabbing him mid to late round two in a draft, you're just saying, you know what, I know this is the wide receiver one there. Thielen's in his 30s now and Jefferson is seems like a lock for around 1,300 yards. However, I don't quite see the 1,500-yard type upside that you frequently are going to want from a wide receiver that you draft in that range. It's easier for me to see a DK Metcalf, a DeAndre Hopkins, a Michael Thomas getting two, 300 more receiving yards than Jefferson. It's really hard to see Jefferson getting more receiving yards than those guys. So Jefferson, kind of more of a floor play. The one guy I'm excited about, Dalvin Cook projects really well. And thank the lucky stars if you get the number two pick in your draft because CMC the clear 101 for me still, Delvin Cook the clear 102 with then a drop off to the next tier with the Saquon, Derrick Henry, Zeke, Akers, Aaron Jones, all those guys, Jonathan Taylor, they all kind of have a little bit of a drop from Cook. So looks like a locked and loaded number two pick in all formats. And then the final team in the NFC is the Green Bay Packers. Will Aaron Rodgers stay? Who's to know? But for right now, I projected Aaron Rodgers in this offense. Yes, it would be really dicey if we had a Jordan Love projection. And their offense could very well look like the 2019 Pittsburgh Steelers when it was Mason Rudolph leading the helm when Big Ben Roethlisberger went down with his Tommy John-esque surgery. Assuming that Rodgers plays, Tunyon looks better for best ball than redraft. He looks like the kind of guy that's going to have a fairly high TD rate again and will probably gobble up six to ten touchdowns. So, good for best ball when you just kind of want one of your one of your uh, two or three tight ends to just get a touchdown every other or every three weeks. However, in redraft, Robert Tunyon does not project to be a particularly high receiving yards guy. So, at his current ADP, he's not particularly exciting in a redraft format. Aaron Jones looks really good. And I can't believe he's going late round one, early round two right now in best ball and i often push the button there because if we knew aaron rodgers was the quarterback there he would be my rb4 before the aaron rodgers rumors he was comfortably ranked as the rb4 in our early 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 skinny draft kit rankings he's no longer the rb4 there because there's uncertainty with rodgers however if you want to bank on rodgers being there in some form sure go ahead take some aaron jones and if rodgers plays Aaron Jones looks fully teed up to make it three seasons in a row of a top five finish. The other guy that I'll highlight is Devontae Adams looks like the wide receiver one again in fantasy if Rodgers stays. I do expect and project Rodgers' TD rate to come down to earth. He was over 9% last year, which is ridiculously historic. And I have him closer to the 6% range, which is around his career average. I don't think Aaron Rodgers, once again, is going to be completely lighting it up in fantasy. I don't think he's a great value either where he's currently going, and it's because in Green Bay, it's a slow-paced offense, and Aaron Rodgers is not a mobile quarterback anymore. He had a little bit of sneaky mobility earlier in his career, but now he's closer to a statue than a true dual-threat quarterback. So you're looking at a low-volume passer who also isn't running the ball himself. That's not a recipe for high-end fantasy production. If you're drafting Aaron Rodgers anywhere near his 2020 finish, you're expecting that he's going to have another 99th percentile touchdown rate. And news flash, touchdown rate is volatile. I basically call the MVP award the touchdown percentage award because it seems to go to whichever quarterback gets lucky that year and runs really pure with touchdowns. Three years ago, it was Mahomes and his 50 touchdowns. Two years ago, it was Lamar when he barely passed the ball and still had almost 40 passing touchdowns. And then Aaron Rodgers last year with the high 40s passing touchdowns won the MVP. The MVP award just needs to be changed to the TD rate award. And I just don't see Rodgers winning that award this next year. So I do have De- Devontae Adams significantly lower than his, I think it was 26 or 27 points per game that he had last year, but a little over 20 points per game like I haven't projected. He is the wide receiver one right now if we knew Rodgers was staying. The other guys, it's not as pretty looking. Amari Rodgers, Alan Lazard, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, these guys are all kind of grabbing at these little 10% target shares, 12% target shares, kind of jostling, seeing what they can grab. And I don't have any of them even hitting 650 receiving yards in 2021. So yeah, I think Rodgers, Lazard, Valdez-Scantling, they're fine in best ball where they're going because they're going pretty late. But in redraft, It's hard for me to see a world where you're confidently starting Rodgers, Lazard, or Valdez-Scantling every week in fantasy for 2021. Before we get to the AFC, let's just take a quick two-minute break to clear our minds from projections talk. First, I want to highlight underdog fantasy. One of the biggest reasons I'm working full-time at fantasy football this year. If you haven't started drafting on their platform, you're missing out. I draft best ball teams every day on their platform and mix it up between casual $3 drafts to sharpen my drafting skills and intuition on which players I prefer at ADP, which teams are best to stack, and where to expect the value pockets of drafts to be. And then, I also like their $10 Rookies and Sophomores Tournament, where you can draft a team of only 2020 and 2021 drafted players in a four-team, 12 man roster best ball tournament those drafts take only 8 to 12 minutes to complete and they're the perfect way to take a mental break from work finally there's the 25 dollar entry with a 1 million dollar prize for first place and that's the tournament that is best ball mania you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not using underdog because their mobile experience is truly the cleanest one on the market and i would know as someone that drafts almost an hour a day on their platform. If you haven't signed up yet, promo code Underworld. I'll repeat, promo code Underworld when you do to let them know that we sent you. I also want to highlight the podfather, Matt Kelly, as well as the king himself, Patrick Murphy. The two of them have been incredibly helpful during the projections process. And the projections you see in our draft kit have been vetted, dissected, and broken down by both of them to ensure that every number you see has passed through rigorous analytical tests, three sets of eyes, and a whole lot of back and forth discussion. I'll note, too, that these projections are a living, breathing, working document. As summer goes along, I'll be updating these projections whenever we have news breaking, roster changes, injuries, training camp reports of who is getting first team reps, etc. Let's return to the projections now, and we'll start to walk through the AFC teams with New England and the AFC East. Uh, you probably knew this. Nobody projects particularly well there. Damian Harris and Nelson Aguilar look like they're probably going to be pretty good values at ADP. Other than that, nothing too exciting there. So we're just going to actually, no, we'll talk about the tight ends because I think there's this narrative going around for some reason that uh, it seems like 90% of quote unquote analysts are certain. Absolutely certain that Johnu Smith is a far superior player to Hunter Henry, and that he's gonna be the one commanding more receiving work. That to me is pretty laughable, considering Henry has a much better receiving resume than Johnu the past few years. And a lot of Johnu's per-touch efficiency, it's most likely a cross-section of Jonu's talent with Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill, and the overall Tennessee offense's play calling. Everyone on that roster has been extremely efficient. And I would caution against plugging Jonu's per-touch efficiency numbers into a higher amount of 2021 targets. Moving on to Miami, Tua looks like a real NFL quarterback with actual weapons this year. And his projection reflects that. He looks really good at his ADP. I have him projected at nearly 19 fantasy points per game. Miles Gaskin is going too late. He is still leaking into the fifth round in many drafts. This guy looks like he's going to be a workhorse. And I have him projected at just over 200 rush attempts and just over 70 targets for 2021. I mean, if if a guy's going to be getting nearly 1,000 rushing yards and projecting at about 400 receiving yards, you should draft that guy when he's slipping into round five. I don't quite understand the Miles Gaskin ADP. I have him projected for nearly 1,400 yards on the ground. Or, sorry nearly 1,400 total yards, and then I have him projected for about seven total touchdowns. It all comes out to around 14 fantasy points per game. You should take this guy. We'll move on now to Buffalo. Extremely pass-heavy, as you probably all know, from last year, and I expect that trend to continue into this season. Regardless of game script, this was a team that wanted to pass the ball. And I have Josh Allen at nearly 650 pass attempts, for about 5,000 passing yards in a 17-game season. While I do see a dip in his touchdown efficiency from 2020, I still have him in that ultra tier one of QB with Kyler Murray and Patrick Mahomes, where the three of them are all averaging about 24 fantasy points per game. I'm also going to highlight Zach Moss still looks like a value. I'd probably take him around pick 75 to 80 in drafts, yet he's still going around pick 100. I don't quite understand why everyone is so resistant to Zach Moss this year. You're drafting him as if Buffalo added a running back on day two or day three. They didn't add anybody of consequence to that backfield. Another guy that I want to highlight is Gabe Davis just looks kind of meh. It's hard for me to get behind Gabriel Davis. Gabriel Davis is giving me flashbacks to Anthony Miller, and Miller having seven touchdowns as a rookie receiver and then taking a major step back as a sophomore. I understand Gabriel Davis had some very tantalizing spike weeks last year, but he caught seven touchdowns on 35 catches. He did not have a very high target share. And remember, 35 catches, seven touchdowns. That means that every five Gabriel Davis catches, there was a touchdown in 2020. Do I think that's going to continue? No, not even in the slightest. And while I have a slight usage bump for Gabriel Davis in year two, I have him projected at fewer touchdowns for the upcoming season, even with giving him a well above average touchdown rate. Seven is just not sustainable if he's getting low volume in an offense that has Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, Dawson Knox. There's a lot of talented options that are not named Gabe Davis. On to the New York Jets. Uh, kind of like the Patriots, there's just nobody that's extremely exciting. Elijah Moore gets a whole lot more interesting if Jameson Crowder is cut to save money, but until that actually happens, I can't just go out of the gate and project Elijah Moore for seven or 800 yards as a rookie. The other guy that I'll mention is Michael Carter looks like the exact player that you want to grab and redraft. He seems like a very high-floor, later-round option. And if you want 8 to 12 points a game as a bye week fill-in, and maybe on the off chance that he gets real 1A or bell cow type work in a game or two, then you have an extra spike week. But overall, this looks like the kind of guy that's getting you 8 to 12 fantasy points per game. It's really hard to see him completely busting in year one. So where he's going in drafts right now, I do like Michael Carter. On to the AFC West. Let's start with Denver. They're probably... Eh, I don't know. It's them and the Raiders as to which team is truly less interesting. The AFC West is a tale of two cities. I mean, we have Kansas City and the Chargers. And then we have the Teddy Bridgewater-Drew Locke QB committee Broncos. And the John Gruden incredibly slow, boring, all they do is feed a tight end offense that is the Raiders. Anyway, on to the Broncos. I have it projected around 60-40 right now with Bridgewater getting about 60% of the snaps and Drew Locke getting around 40% of the snaps under center. Chetty Bridgewater has just, quite frankly, been significantly better in the NFL than Drew Locke. I understand some people really like Drew Locke. I don't know why. He is not a first-round pick quarterback, so already he's got that working against him. He also has a really high interception rate, a really low completion percentage, a really low yards per attempt. I don't know why you like Drew Locke. You need to cut it out. Uh, One thing that's kind of interesting is the battle between running backs. I actually have Javante Williams getting slightly more work than Melvin Gordon, and that just speaks to the track record of some of these trade-up running backs. Remember, Javante Williams was a borderline round one running back. Denver traded up at the beginning of the second round to snag him. So, if history is going to be our guide, that means they have every intention to feed him. I have Melvin Gordon right now about 160 carries, and I have Javante Williams around 190. I also have Javante Williams getting a little more work in the passing game. Melvin Gordon really wasn't utilized in the passing game like I and many others had hoped last year, and I don't know why adding Javante Williams and then having a healthy Cortland Sutton is going to do anything to increase Gordon's anemic target share. Also, while talking about Cortland Sutton, I actually have him and Judy projected very similarly. I don't think it's clear that Cortland Sutton just waltzes right into some big alpha role like he had two years ago because remember jerry judy wasn't there two years ago yes Cortland sutton has the prototypical alpha build however jerry judy had one of the highest numbers of air yards of any receiver in the nfl last year that means that he's running the type of routes that we want to see from a team's wide receiver one so i don't think it's fully clear that Cortland sutton is the alpha and then jerry judy is relegated to uh, some type of beta role so At ADP, I do prefer Judy because of how similar they are in my projections. On to the Chiefs, I have Patrick Mahomes leading the NFL in passing yards this year. I don't think that's a hot take. He's incredibly efficient. He's on an offense that throws the ball a lot. They rebuilt the offensive line. And yes, this is not the deepest group of skill players, but with Clyde Edwards, alaire Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey, I think there's enough meat on the bones there. There's also Mecole Hardman, who, after... Two years of kind of making fun of, I'm starting to come around to him at ADP, and I believe I'll end up being slightly above consensus on him as the potential wide receiver 2 in this offense. I also think Demarcus Robinson, he's kind of an interesting later round target in best baller redraft, because I would not say that Mikkel Hardman has a stranglehold on the wide receiver 2 role this year. The Raiders... Not super exciting. I will say that Josh Jacobs actually projected a little bit better than I expected where I think he's kind of a decent high floor option, but it's incredibly hard to see any type of real RB1 or league winning ceiling with Kenyon Drake there. Right now I have Josh Jacobs at a 6% target share, Kenyon Drake at a 9% target share. Kenyon Drake at his ADP actually looks kind of decent because I do think that he's going to get some of those high value running back targets. The receiving game is interesting. John Brown looks like a really good late round flyer as the guy I have projected in the receiving core to have the highest target share after Darren Waller. I don't think there's any chance Henry Ruggs out targets John Brown if John Brown's healthy. The only guy I could see out targeting John Brown in the wide receiver core would be Brian Edwards who does have the alpha build, had an incredible prospect profile, and hopefully we can all just give him a mulligan and so can the Raiders coaching staff because he impressed in camp. Had the second most receiving yards in games two and three of the 2020 NFL season for the Raiders and then got injured and for some reason just barely showed up again the rest of the season. Hopefully Brian Edwards is back. I'm not going to say that I will fully die on this hill, but I will say that I'm still hiking back up that same hill this year. Darren Waller, as I alluded to earlier, the clear cut, it's not even that close in my projections, the clear cut, tight end two in fantasy football. And again, I'll reiterate it. He is closer to Travis Kelsey in my projections than Kittle is to Waller. So Waller and Kelsey are closer together than Waller and Kittle. Remember that. Draft Darren Waller half a round later than George Kittle and profit. If you want to know more and you're like, oh, why Darren Waller over Kittle? I've already said it on multiple podcasts, but here's the cliff notes. Darren Waller doesn't block. George Kittle blocks. When you're blocking as a tight end, you're not running a route. Andrew's susceptible to injury. Darren Waller also happens to command a higher target share and has an overall worse depth chart around him. Darren Waller's competing with John Brown, Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, Hunter Renfro. Kittle's competing with Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. Also, Kittle is playing on a team with Trey Lance, and rushing quarterbacks generally don't throw the ball as much. Also, the Niners project to have a better defense, so they're not going to be passing as much. There are just so many reasons why Waller should be taken over Kittle. And for some reason, the Kittle name value in the Shanahan system seems to be propping up George Kittle unfairly to Darren Waller. The final team in the AFC West is the Chargers. Herbert looks like he's going to be a fantasy stud again. I don't quite see a top three ceiling for Justin Herbert. However, I don't think he's going to burn you at his ADP. He looks like a great middle round quarterback to draft, especially if you can get the Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert stack. Those are very appealing at ADP. One other thing that I'll mention is I have Josh Palmer projected above Jalen Guyton. Jalen Guyton was top fifteen in the NFL in snaps, yet he was nowhere near that in targets or yards. I think we saw Jalen Guyton's ceiling last year. I mean, what what do you expect from him? He was already top fifteen and the amount of snaps or routes that he was running, what more do you want from Guyton? Clearly, this is the most situational of situational deep threats. They took Josh Palmer on day two. Whether or not we like the prospect in Palmer, it's hard to deny that he's tethered to an elite quarterback, and outside of Keenan Allen, there's no other wide receiver that projects to be a high target share kind of guy. The tight ends, Jared Cook, Donald Parham, neither of these are high target share guys either. It's really just Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, and Mike Williams, and then Josh Palmer. So if he's playing fourth-ish fiddle on a team that's projected to throw the ball nearly 650 times, Josh Palmer's gonna get some work. And I have Palmer at 570 receiving yards in this 17-game season. Being that you can get him in the final round of any draft you do, I'd say that's a good move, especially if you have Herbert on your team to complete the stack. We'll go now to the AFC North with the Ravens, Dobbins looks like a good floor play for redraft, but he lacks upside for best ball, and that's not a format that I necessarily want Dobbins in. He's not going to catch passes. Looking at it, I gave Dobbins a 7.5% target share, and maybe that's too optimistic. I just love his talent. But even still, in a lower volume offense, that's 3-6 targets, and I have him at under 200 receiving yards. I don't understand how you can get Dobbins to be a league-winning running back. And there's a lot of guys around his ADP where you can make the case that they have league-winning potential. I just don't see it for Dobbins unless Gus Edwards goes down and maybe Lamar gets hobbled and has to check it down more. I don't know. There's You have to spin multiple webs to, be, to get Dobbins to become this high-end RB1. But I do have him projected for over 1,200 rushing yards. I think that's a fairly stable projection. It's hard to see Dobbins not smashing in real-life football in 2021. I also have Rashad Bateman overtaking Marquise Brown for the wide receiver target share leader. I don't think that's a hot take. Bateman is just an all-around better wide receiver than Marquise Brown. So I think we should fully expect Bateman to be kind of a high-floor, low-ceiling type play week-to-week in fantasy football. I have him projected for, let's see, just over 750 receiving yards, which is actually quite a large percent of the receiving pie there. Cincinnati's a really interesting team. There's the big three receiving core of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. They have Joe Mixon, and then after that, you really have to squint, and it's pretty much a bag of bones. There's Samaje Ryan Auden Tate, Drew Sample. It's essentially a three-pronged passing attack with Chase, Higgins, and Boyd. And all three of them very, 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 very appealing at ADP. Right now, I have Jamar Chase projected at a 20% target share. That's kind of where these top 5, top 10 wide receiver picks end up as a rookie. And in an incredibly high volume passing attack like the Bengals project to be, that 20% target share, while in another offense like the Ravens, where I also have Bateman at a 20% target share, I have Bateman at 95 targets. With the same target share in Cincinnati, it's not 95 targets for Jamar Chase, it equates to 132 targets for him in these 17 games. T Higgins. I have at a 19 and percent target share. I really think this is neck and neck with the slight edge to Jamar chase based on the type of routes we expect him to run. I have Tyler Boyd at a 19% target share just below the two of them. All three of them project to be studs in fantasy football, and I'm happy to take all of them at cost right now. Joe Burrow. He looks fine. I think he's much better in best ball where you can start to stack him in a tournament, especially with one or two of Chase, Higgins, and Boyd. In redraft, just because I don't see much rushing for him, especially after his injury from last year, he's not quite as appealing week to week, where I could see him having a lot of 12 to 15 point weeks that you're not particularly excited about if Joe Mixon's running the ball in. And speaking of Joe Mixon, what is stopping him from going nuclear this year? Gio Bernard is gone. His foot should be fully healthy. This is an incredible running back prospect. And I believe that his talent finally takes off this year and we get the top five running back season from him. It is incredibly likely. Do I have him projected top five? Eh, No, but he's very close. He's in the conversation. He's within one point per game of the guys who are projected top five. Cleveland as a team, I kind of want nothing to do with it in fantasy football. Baker Mayfield is a low-volume passer, and he showed a little more efficiency last year, but it's still nothing too exciting. Running back-wise, we have Nick Chubb, the ultra-talent in real-life football, who unfortunately just doesn't catch a lot of passes because of Kareem Hunt, so it's really hard for him to reach the ceiling unless he continues his furious breakaway run pace and touchdown pace from 2020. Could it happen? Sure, but there's things that I'd rather bet on more than Chubb running really pure with touchdowns. A few of those things would be running back targets, a guy that doesn't have a super competent backup because we all think Kareem Hunt is also a really good player. There's just a lot working against Nick Chubb from reaching a league winning ceiling. I think in redraft, he's fine. It seems like he's always going to get you 8 to 10 fantasy points with a lot of 20 point finishes mixed in, but it's really hard for him. It's it's hard for me to see him being that 25 fantasy point kind of guy routinely Whereas some of these other running backs taken similarly to him, like a Cam Akers, it's much easier for me to see Cam Akers completely breaking fantasy football than it is for me to see Nick Chubb doing that. Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry don't look very good, especially Odell Beckham at his ADP. Why do people think he's going to get this 26-27% target share? He's coming off a major injury, and he wasn't even commanding that when healthy. We're about to do some live R-coding. Give me one second. You might hear me typing in the background. So, Odell Beckham Jr., he had a 24% target share in games he played in 2019. Then, in 2020, he had a 21% target share before getting injured. I don't see him having a 26% to 27% target share. I don't know where that's coming from. And that's the kind of upside that ideally you want. You want OBJ to be getting 130 to 140 targets. And in this passing attack, I have him projected at about 115 targets. They're just hard to come by when you have two elite running backs in an incredible offensive line that allows you to consistently average five yards a carry. On to Pittsburgh, Najee Harris looks like the ultimate volume-driven low-end RB1, high-end RB2. He's going to get you 275 to 300 carries, but his yards per carry is probably going to be around 3.5 to 4.2. It's not going to be particularly exciting. He himself does not look like the most efficient creator on his own. And a lot of his success in college seems to be traced back to having incredibly wide running lanes. It's just like with Derrick Henry. When Derrick Henry gets going in the open field, nobody wants to tackle a man of that size. The momentum is tremendous. Same with Najee Harris. When he's on an elite college offense and players are tackling him when he's going 10-15 to miles an hour, sure, he's going to look really incredible. However, I don't see particularly wide running lanes in his future in Pittsburgh. And that's concerning for his overall efficiency. I do have him getting over 60 targets though. So that right there is a good, uh, that's a good sign. I have him at around 1,500 total yards. Naja Harris is going to be just fine in fantasy. We'll have to see how the efficiency and touchdowns play out. That's kind of where it'll make or break him. At his ADP, I'd rather shoot for somebody else like Mixon, who I think has a higher ceiling. And we've seen him be successful in the Bengals offense before. We just don't really know what the Steelers offense is going to look like. Deontay, Claypool, Juju, I think they're all going to cannibalize each other's ceilings. That's not very good for fantasy. Eric Ebron does look like a value though, so good on Ebron. He's He looks like someone that's going to get you 500 receiving yards, 5 touchdowns. Grab him at the end of a best ball draft, and he's going to give you 4-6 to six spike weeks. I probably shouldn't say anything about the Houston offense on the off chance that I'll convince you to draft them. Brendan Cooks and Nico Collins look fine. You're allowed to take those guys, but I mean, Tyrod Taylor doesn't look very good. Uh, David Johnson, uh. Philip Lindsay, I almost didn't rank in my top 300 because I want to rank based on upside. And on the Houston Texans, do you want to know who does not have upside? Phillip Lindsay does not have upside. This is a horrible pass catching back who's undersized and is going to be on a team that trails 99% of the time in games this year. This is not a recipe for Philip Lindsay seeing the field or having any type of meaningful touches. I wouldn't touch Philip Lindsay at his ADP. We'll go to Indianapolis and the Colts, and we're going to highlight Jonathan Taylor. He's very interesting because of his target share. I have him projected at nearly 300 rush attempts, almost 5 yards a carry. The guy's rushing for just over 1,400 yards in my projections. He's getting you double-digit touchdowns. That's all dandy. The real kicker is what his target share is going to look like. And in traditional redraft and uh, 12-man best ball leagues, I'm a little bit hesitant to grab Jonathan Taylor at his current cost of around the 6th, 7th pick off the board. That being said, while I don't hate him at his ADP, I'm, I'm not fully avoiding him, but I definitely have lower than average exposure to him. The place where I do have decent exposure is in large field tournaments. Jonathan Taylor can win you a week or multiple weeks in a tournament because of the upside he presents. And while I expect Naheem Hines to be fairly involved in the passing game, there is the chance that Taylor fully takes over this backfield. So right now I have him projected with an 8% target share. And I have Taylor just under 17 fantasy points a game. What if we bump, give me a second, we're live typing. If we bump that target share down to 6%, which I think is kind of the floor there, We're looking at under 16 fantasy points a game. He basically loses a fantasy point, which might not sound like much, but it's the kind of thing that can drop you from a mid to high end RB1 to a lower end RB1. But if we increase that target share from the 8% I projected to 11%, which I do believe is in his range of outcomes. Now we have Jonathan Taylor at 65 targets, 52 catches, 410 yards, and another touchdown receiving. And when you add that in to double-digit touchdowns on the ground with 1,400 rush yards, suddenly Jonathan Taylor is getting you 18 and a half fantasy points per game and would project as the third or fourth best running back in fantasy football. Yes, Jonathan Taylor does have some upside. However, at his ADP, I kind of want the stability of knowing my running back gets all the touches. And I'm just not confident right now that Jonathan Taylor is really going to get all of the important touches for fantasy. I think he's going to get a lot of the rush attempts and he's going to get the goal line carries, but the targets are important too. And that's an area where it's a little bit worrisome for me, how Jonathan Taylor is going to be used. Let's move on to the Jaguars. Here's another dynamic one that I'm going to do with projections. We're going to look at ETN. I currently have ETN projected for 12% target share. That's just under 75 targets in this decently high volume passing attack. Again, this is a bad defense with Jacksonville. They're probably going to be trailing and throwing the ball, but let's just say that we bump up that twelve percent to seventeen percent. What if he is an Alvin Kamara light in year one? If he's getting about hundred targets and around eighty catches as a rookie, which is in his range of outcomes at a seventeen percent target share, suddenly Travis Etienne is a low end RB one, and he's going at this kind of later back end RB two price tag right now. And I think that his floor is low-end RB2. It's hard to see a world where the Jacksonville Jaguars take ETN in the first round not to use him. This is an incredible pass-catching talent, and I fully expect him to have at least a 10% target share, probably well north of that, and I haven't projected at 12%, but 15 17 18%. I don't think any of that's out of the question, depending on the type of offense that Jacksonville ends up running. With Chark, Chenault, Marvin Jones, they all look quite nice at their ADPs, particularly Marvin Jones. Though that seems to be the story every single year. The perennially underrated Marvin Jones, who always carves out 18% of the targets in an offense, and scores touchdowns at an above average rate. And for the 32nd team, the final team of the AFC South, the Tennessee Titans. Oh, one other thing to mention with Jacksonville. Yes, this is kind of narrative driven, but I think it's interesting to think about the Chiefs, in the first round of the draft in 2020, took Clyde Edwards-Alaire. It was a luxury pick. Apparently, it was Patrick Mahomes' pick. They said, who do you want at running back? And Mahomes said, I want Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And at the end of the day, that's a small price to pay to guarantee that your franchise quarterback is incredibly happy with the organization. Trevor Lawrence, they gave him his college running back. They took Travis Etienne, who he crossed over three seasons with at Clemson. We've got the shower narrative. Three seasons of showers, in fact. And what if that's what they needed to make sure Trevor Lawrence feels fully comfortable in year one in this offense? You have a generational quarterback that you appease with this round one selection. Whether or not it was his choice, you know it's going to make him feel more comfortable. While I don't agree with the round one running back, if you tell me it's going to greatly impact morale and confidence of the quarterback, it becomes slightly more defensible. Contrast that with the Packers, who clearly do not have a good relationship with Aaron Rodgers. They cut an auxiliary receiver that Rodgers was apparently friendly with and that frustrated him. Rodgers also came out and was saying he wanted them to take a wide receiver in the first round. You know what? Whether or not you agree with that as Packers brass, they should have done that. Treat your franchise quarterback with some more respect. Even if some of the demands are a little crazy, Do you want to know what's crazier? Thinking that you're going to contend for a playoff spot with Jordan Love. Now on to the final team, team number 32, the Tennessee Titans, the last team in the AFC South. We're going to talk about the big dog, Derrick Henry. I have him projected fairly close to his ceiling. He's a really interesting one because, I mean, if he's healthy, he's getting 20 carries a game. I don't think anyone's debating that. He had, I think, 22 carries a game last year. The issue is that... A, he doesn't catch passes, and B, if he suffers any type of injury or he loses a little bit of explosiveness, his entire role and fantasy value can completely crater. So I think that there's a lot of risk with his projection, and why, wherever he ends up projecting, I'd probably rank him a touch below that. Remember, he had one of the most historic seasons in NFL history, the 8th player to rush for 2,000 yards in a season. He had almost 20 touchdowns that year as well. And for Henry's historic efforts, he was still outscored in fantasy football by Kamara and Dalvin Cook. And Dalvin Cook played two fewer games than Derrick Henry and still outscored him in PPR leagues. Many of us play PPR, and if you do, just remember that Derrick Henry doesn't actually have the overall RB1 in his range of outcomes, like every other running back going in the same range as him. Also, I do believe it is A.J. Brown's season, Right now, I have him getting around 150 targets. It's a low-volume pass attack, but there is nobody else to throw to. And A.J. Brown looks like a lock for double-digit touchdowns, and I have him projected for over 1,400 receiving yards. Call me crazy, I don't care what you call me. I like A.J. Brown this year. The projections like A.J. Brown this year. He's an elite wide receiver talent with an efficient quarterback and no competition on the rest of the depth chart. A.J. Brown looks like a great wide receiver to take early if some of the running backs that you prefer are already off the board. Lastly, I'll go into Anthony Ferkser. Anthony Ferkser projects currently as my tight end 10. I don't know why he's getting drafted so late. Yes, his ADP's risen about a round and a half the past two, three weeks as people are realizing how little the Titans added to their skill position core in the NFL draft. Even still, I have Ferkser right now, at just over 50 catches and about 600 receiving yards. Who else is Tannehill going to throw to? A.J. Brown. Too bad Derrick Henry doesn't catch passes. Josh Reynolds. Is that really the number two option in this offense? Uh, Des Fitzpatrick looked like a reach when he was taken in the fourth round of the draft by them. There's just nobody there. So I am incredibly higher than consensus on Anthony Ferkser. That's all for the rankings. I understand this is a long episode with a lot of projections. But thanks for sticking with me until the end and get ready because early next week, the full draft kit with projections, all the team insights, etc. it's going to be released. And I cannot stress enough how much time and effort has been put into this. There are so many people at the forefront, behind the scenes, all the above that are putting in the hours and putting in the work. And I want to give a big shout out to Mike Randall, who's been coordinating the entire draft kit for us and has been doing a phenomenal job juggling hundreds of talented writers analysts fantasy football celebrities that have all been chipping in to help us make this once again the best draft kit on the market it is why we call it the in quotes world famous draft kit you're not going to find insights and analysis anywhere else like what we have here plus if this episode piqued your interest at all which I assume it does if you listen till the end you will get my full player projections with that draft kit don't worry the show's not over i know you're looking for that signature hot take yes i'm an analytics guy but you want to know the one player that i'm going to bat for and i'm going to roll out a best case scenario for and i have that for you no this is not what i think is most likely to happen however i think there's about a 30 percent chance that this does happen and i think that right there in itself That's quite surprising. The more I did projections and the more I looked at potential scenarios, TJ Hawkinson will finish as the tight end three behind Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller because he gets 135 targets in 2021.